Hey everyone, I'm Chris Hall and this is the Downtime Podcast where we're going to be taking you deeper than ever into the gravity-based side of mountain biking. This week we've got an awesome offer on the must-have 2023 yearbooks from Misspent Summers but first just to let you know that we've paused the We Are One discount code for this week. That's because We Are One are holding a mega Black Friday sale with discounts that go even deeper and wider than our usual discount codes. They got 30% off their depackaged bar and stem, 20% off wheel sets and rims but what's even more amazing is that they've got 20% off their incredible arrival frames. So head to weareonecomposites.com to check that out. Today, the 2023 yearbooks from Misspent Summers, that's Hurley Burley for Downhill on the world stage for Enduro, go on sale. The perfect Christmas present for you or a friend or partner who rides. As a downtime listener, you can get 10% off the yearbooks and everything else Misspent Summers using the code downtime at misspentsummers.com. So whether you want yearbooks, downtime EP or some awesome clothing, then you can get 10% off your Christmas shopping right now over at misspentsummers.com. Before we jump into this episode, just a few quick things that I'd like to mention. First up, if you want to support the podcast, then you can either set up a regular donation via my Patreon at patreon.com forward slash downtime podcast, or you can grab yourself some merch from downtimepodcast.com forward slash shop, or you can share the episodes with your friends or on your social media and spread the word. I really appreciate everyone who supports what I do. It really does make a huge difference. So thanks for your support. To get a little more downtime in your life, you can join my newsletter, where I'll provide you with a bit of behind-the-scenes info on the podcast, interesting bits and pieces from around the mountain bike world, some mini-reviews of products that I've been using and like, partner offers, and more. You can do that over at downtimepodcast.com forward slash newsletter. Also, don't forget to follow the podcast to make sure that you never miss an episode. You can do that by hitting the follow button in your podcast app right now, or there's buttons for all the major platforms over at downtimepodcast.com forward slash follow. Also, you can listen to today's episode right here, or if you'd prefer to watch it, you can now do that over on my YouTube channel, which is youtube.com forward slash at downtime podcast. I'll also stick a link to that video and everything else that I've mentioned in this intro in the show notes over on my website, downtimepodcast.com. All right, today I'm joined by Dakota Norton. Dakota had his best season ever in 2023 and had the pace to take wins at more than one venue. We hear Dakota's thoughts on this season and his time with Intense. We chat about bike setup, the challenge of training at World Cup speeds without taking unnecessary risks, how he's found a way to enjoy racing and much, much more. So without further ado, here's Dakota Norton. Dakota Norton, welcome back to the Downtime Podcast, man. It's been a uh, it's been a little while. How's things? Yeah, it's plugging away nicely. Um, last time we talked, it was uh, man a little bit of a different um, different deal. So now we're slowly, you know, getting uh, getting a little bit more solidified and uh, riding riding at the front of the pack. And yeah, a lot of cool changes to talk about. Definitely, man. Yeah, lots to talk about. But first off, you're a podcaster now, eh? I guess, uh, you know, I kind of jumped into doing some of these podcasts with vital just to give some perspective on, on the race from an insider, uh, like a race review type podcast. And I've been quite enjoying it and hopefully soon I'll be able to get settled in enough at home that maybe I can jump on and, uh, start talking to some people about, you know, things that I'm interested in and, and maybe not as much about like race history and stuff like that, but overall I'm just incredibly intrigued by what people are excited about so yeah a little bit of a podcaster now maybe a bit more later nice oh that's awesome man so you're obviously enjoying it then eh? if you're considering doing a bit more yeah yeah i think it's it's really fun to pick people's brains so to speak and just kind of understand um what people are into like you know i, I get to be involved with 
a lot of highly influential people, you know, like being around Aaron the last couple of years, I've learned a ton. And, you know, I get introduced to all these people of all different walks of life because of the network I've created through Racing Downhill and from, you know, people that are, are high level business um, or are, you know, bike racers or are car racers or, and it's just really exciting to get to talk to people. And most of the time, they're into something completely different from whatever they do for a living. And they're so, so like deeply ingrained in their hobbies and health and business. And it's just really cool to get, you know, to talk to people about that and yeah, just chat. Sweet, man. That's super cool. And how have you found it? Like, have you found it helps you as well? Cause you, you've been quite sort of reflective on your, own performances and experiences i think in the stuff you've done on the vital b practice podcast like have you found that helpful personally yeah absolutely just the amount of growth that i've been able to have just due to my environment has been amazing to see you know where i was the the human i was when i first started bike racing and kind of how i got to you know last time we chatted i was kind of getting a taste of that in the sport and then you know, I've been able to race on a few different race programs and you just get, you get this, uh, this network of humans that you get to meet and talk to. And it's, yeah, it's, it's pretty wild. I, I quite enjoy it and enjoy reflecting on those things. Nice. And yeah, we spoke early 2020 was the last time we sat down and we covered a lot of your background there. So if people kind of want to know that, I would recommend they go back and listen to it. There's uh, a lot of graft to get to the, to that point in your career. But for us, yeah, let's start in that 2020 year, which was kind of an odd season for everyone with COVID and everything that went on. But it featured a podium for you in Loser. Um, and unfortunately, the end of Da Vinci Racing, which was like a really big deal for you and an awesome program at that point in your career. And it's a pretty hard thing as a rider, I guess, to like be in a program, be seeing success and then have that program effectively come to an end right yeah it's uh it's never fun when the team shut down and they shut down late that was a a really weird year because we went racing pretty late and um it was a new bike that we had just got i mean i had a handful of weeks on it i got to ride it for two weeks and then they took it back to the factory they weren't going to race it and i was like it's better like the bike is two seconds a lap better no matter what track i'm on and then went back and started training again on the old bike. And then they were like, oh, yeah, you can, you can race the bike. And we had like two weeks to get, to get used to it. And it was a high pivot that grew quite a lot. So it had, you know, some quirks about it that I didn't really understand at the time. And now develop riding different bikes, you know, through the, the bulk of my career here. I've learned some things that certain bikes have a tendency to do. And I looked at, you know, that season and I had some crashes and I just never really understood how light the front end, how, how the t- bike had a tendency to wash the front wheel with the, the growth in the chain stays. And that bike grew a lot. And it was like amazing on like chatter and harsh high speed compression impacts. It like eight, but when you'd slam it into a corner that wanted to wash the front wheel, just different tendencies when you're riding on the edge, you know, every bike is a compromise. So I went on this amazing bike and had all this speed, but didn't necessarily know how to harness it. And then at the end of the year, was able to get a podium. And it was like such a bittersweet deal with that team shutting. And my mechanic over there was awesome. He was like spot on, um, phenomenal mechanic. And the whole team really, 
like we had learned how to work together, even though I was a lot different than them. And uh, looking back, you know, you always think the grass is greener on the other side. You want to go ride for these big programs and semis and all the shiny stuff. And like looking back, like we really had good things going on that program and it worked really well. Yeah, definitely, man. You moved from there onto YT Mob. Mm-hmm. Was that again? Was that quite a late thing to come around? <laughs> You're going to see a, a bit of a, a thing that keeps happening here. It's <laughs> a repeat. Yeah, yeah, it's like, <laughs> yeah. So I uh, went to the YT Mob and I had hired my, Martin Whiteley to manage me earlier in the, the year um, on DaVinci. And it just kind of worked out that he needed a rider and I needed a ride. He called me and asked me if I would be interested in riding for the mob. And yeah, that was like, for me, that was more like, it gave me chills picking up the bike, you know, like it was like, you know, after Aaron had had raced for them and, and won and built this big image for the team. And then I was going on to this, like my, what I felt like was my first real factory race program, you know, and it was Whiteley has won some things in his day. So yeah. <laughs> going on to that program, it was a uh, yeah, big change. Yeah. How was that 21 season for you? Again, it started pretty late because we were still sort of coming out the back end of all of the COVID related like travel restrictions and stuff. But I think you opened up with a ninth in Leo Gang. Yeah, ninth in Leo Gang. And the bike was all around too soft um, and raced all season. Had some issues with some crashes, had some issues with weather. Um, and just didn't really have the consistency racing at the front of the pack that I wanted. I think my best result was snowshoe. Uh, I got six. Mm-hmm. I was like nothing off the podium and, uh, rolled the last jump because I rolled it in practice and it was super fast. I think if I would have jumped it, I would have been on the podium, but, uh, yeah, no, no podium that year for me, but overall was just a bit, um, inconsistent. And, you know, I was like dealing with a bunch of life stuff that uh, didn't really affect my racing. And I was overall just not really as happy, I think, with life as I could have been racing on that program. And I really let it affect um, racing. And then overall just felt like I took that pressure that I had and continued to amplify it based off on the fact that I, I had such inconsistent results and it really I really let it eat at me that season it wasn't really what I what I wanted yeah super hard eh, to separate like kind of effectively I guess work and personal like they're always gonna overlap somewhere yeah absolutely and uh I think it was the last couple races I was like pretty in a pretty good place and then I think it showed on the results less I I thought I could have done really well at the second snowshoe race and unfortunately uh double flat and uh ended my weekend oh man not good and again it was we're back to this repeating scenario it was a pretty late call i think when they made some changes to the way they were going to run the mob um i'm guessing that's super hard as a rider right because it's it's late a lot of people have already signed there's not necessarily seats available how do you yeah how do you go about trying to get yourself sorted in that situation it was difficult i just bought my first home that was half burnt down (laughs) (laughs) so it's the house i'm sitting in today and and i had bought it um it was a nice piece of property super close to windrock and it was like going to be a big project but i was like prepared for my first adult investment and um had some (laughs) friends that were contractors and friends that did worked in the trades and and then the like you know i bought my first home 
And then they pulled the plug on the program and I was like, all the money I had set aside to renovate this house, um, all my budget, I held on to it because I was like, oh, if I, if there was, it was really late and it wasn't looking great. And it was like dead end after dead end after dead end for teams. And I was sitting there going, I'm just going to privateer. So I kind of had to hold on to all the money that I had saved up to do my house. Um, you know, all the planning that I've done, I was like, okay, well, we might have to shift gears and just go race next year. Um, so I kind of hit pause on the house and I was like, had bought a camper to live in while I was going to build my house and live on this piece of property that I bought. And it was just like hit pause on all that stuff and was able to find a ride with Aaron on the intense program. It was pretty late in the year. I was actually listening to uh, Aaron's podcast. I think it was a gypsy tales podcast. And he called me at the exact same time. Like I was listening to Aaron's podcast, mowing my lawn and his name popped up on my phone. And I was like, that's bizarre. (laughs) (laughs) And, uh, yeah, we just, uh, kind of talked a bit and, um, yeah, that was, uh, that was history. Went racing, uh, for intense the following year. Yeah. That's a pretty like perfect way for things to come around. Like it's a good matchup, American brand, another American rider you've looked up to for a long time. And I think, you know, you'd, you'd started to form quite a good friendship with, right. With Aaron riding more at Windrock. Yeah. Yeah. I, I definitely was very intimidated by Aaron when we first started with the program. And as things went on, we went to like, you know, we had a lot of fun and we have similar interests, um, similar, I mean, his values are a bit different than mine where we don't exactly line up, but, um, we got along great. Like our personalities work together really well. And like that whole season on intense was just like fun and games. Like we were having a blast. And at first he was a little frustrated and I did well. And then, kind of when I, in the middle season, I kind of had a dip and he was doing well and it motivated me. And and it was like this game of like us, like checks and balances for each other throughout the season and both like believing in each other and motivating each other. And I mean, I never thought that I'd, I'd be in a world where I'd have Aaron Glenn at the bottom of the hill cheering for me to, to <laughs> yes. you know, in the race, like the dude is just able to be happy for everyone around him, regardless of his circumstances. I know he's had races where he would hit the ground and be sore and beat up and not even know if he was going to be able to race. He'd still be cheering me on. So it was, uh, yeah, we had a lot of fun that first year on intense. It was, it was like a a whole, like a change of pace for me for sure. Um, where I was sitting there going, I don't even know if I'm going to be racing to like, or if I was going to privateer to like going on to race, for Aaron, which was like wild. <laughs> yeah. How close to the start of the season was that? Did you have much time to get get up to speed on the bike? No. <laughs> <laughs> no, none of the above. There was no it was close to the season. Uh we we rode a bike that was three bikes cut in half and welded together for about yeah. three weeks. And then we got the bike and we had it for two weeks and then we were shipping off to France. So it happened pretty quick and, uh, I was able to get uh, new tires and, um, we ran the same wheels, same brakes, but new frame, new tires, um, it's kind of a whole different deal. And it was able to top 10 at the first, uh, first round on intense. That's pretty impressive. And it was Lords, right? Where there was the issues with the uplift. So there wasn't even that much track time to get used to it. Yeah, it was very minimal. So, and Aaron absolutely ate it in practice. Like the dude was 
you know, he was riding phenomenal all weekend, was dropping me. Like, I was just not even in the same ballpark of the speed that Aaron was riding at that race. And then he had a huge one right before finals. And, like, he was, like, his hands, hands were all beat up. Like, his whole ribs were all chewed up. And he was, like, in rough shape. Um, so, like, we're, I thought the dude was easily going to win. Like no joke. And then it was like, it took to kind of took the wind out of the sails. We were both sitting in the pit and I had had a crash. He had had a crash and we were like, Oh, and we didn't get a lot of time. <laughs> so <laughs> it was like, ah, we went and was overall, like, I, I remember that race run. It felt so easy. It felt like a cruisy run. Um, just another practice lap. And I ended up eight and I was pretty happy with that. Definitely, man. Yeah. It's a year where it seems like things really like, started to get going for you what what do you think it took for you to become like a rider that was kind of consistently challenging for the podium towards the end of the season whereas maybe before that you'd been like a top 10 capable rider but perhaps struggling a bit with like consistency consistency lack of consistency <laughs> i mean how many riders okay. get on a new bike and podium the first year very, very, I think very few. And you, you take, yeah. so I, I podium the first year on Da Vinci and I did it in like a world of chaos. Um, the run was absolutely hanging on for my life, almost crashed like five times. And I thought that's what the run had to be to get a world cup podium, get my second world cup podium. And it was like, I was cruising. Like it was like nothing, nothing special. You know, it changed my whole perspective on what I had to do to be on a world cup podium. And then YT, I was 0.1 or 0.2 off on a brand, on a new bike first year. I had podiumed, I had podiumed on the, the Da Vinci high pivot, almost podiumed on the YT, very close. Then uh, podiumed the first year on the intense, the second bike at intense I podiumed on. So it's like, it took, it takes me until the end of the season to figure out all the quirks of the bike and the changes I need to make, how make how I need to ride it, and then you look at the end end of the season after I have four or five races, three, four or five races on a new bike. All of a sudden, I'm in the mix again, and then I'm fighting for podiums. But because I've changed bikes and changed teams every year, it's a lack of consistency that people don't consistently put me as a top guy because I always have something mm. changing. So now I had two years on the intense program. And I definitely had my fair share of issues last year, but you see me on another new bike, consistency. And then I start to fight in the, you know, at the, at the end there, fight for podiums and, and fight for wins. But it just takes a little bit of time to get there. No, that makes complete sense. And let Lenzerhide that year, it looked like it was on, right? I think you qualified, was it second to Amory? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that was how we that was the last thing feeling? I wanted. <laughs> Dude, I was like <laughs> too much pressure or what? Yeah, it was the first time so in twenty two, um, the first year of intense, uh I really struggled mentally. Um in okay. terms of feeling performance pressure, um mm -hmm. fear of crashing, like what is failure in my head, right? Um, underperforming is, is what I would consider is, is failure. And you're going to have, you know, dips in your results. Things are going to go wrong. You're going to get flat tires and that's a part of racing. But when I would just straight up crash or 
I would just, to me, that felt like, like failure. And I really struggled in my head to accept that if I was going to fight for wins and fight for podiums, that I was going to have to be okay with the consequences of those actions. And I never was able to truly accept the consequences for swigging to try to be at the front. Um, and when things are working awesome, I feel like I can easily ride down in the top 15, but I don't really, that to me, like if I'm not in the top 10, like I'm pretty upset about my performance. That's just where I hold my, my standard of like, that's what I'm looking to do. And that year I'm intense. I just couldn't wrap my head around being, Oh, like, cause I've had so many things kind of not go my way. I always had this like fear of like the whole thing toppling down, like, like, Oh, yep. I'm just going to be back looking for a ride. Or if I like just put so much pressure on myself to not be in a position where the team's shutting down, I'm looking for a ride. I don't know what's going to happen. And that really affected me until I just kind of realized that if I do perform, I'm going to have a ride. So just like be positive, look forward at what you know you're capable of and just accept that to do what you believe that you're capable of doing, you're going to have to be okay with not being, it could not go your way. And that's just something you have to accept and you have to be okay with that. So when I qualified second at Lenzerheide, it was just completely too much pressure for me. And I don't think that I cracked by any means. I, I know ex- like exactly what happened. I was taking an inside line and I ducked my head like this. Cause I, I turned my head in and the pole was straight up. And I thought I was going to like hook, hit my helmet or hook my visor on the pole. And I ducked my head like this. And when I did that, the bike washed. Uh, so the big thing that I struggled with in that race run was not getting in the zone or being okay with what happened. Like, yeah, it was miserable until I got on the trainer and started warming up at the top sitting in the pit all day was absolutely miserable since you have to wait the longest. It's there's nobody up there. When you get there, you know, everybody's down there watching you. And I rode really well until I saw the screen. They had the TV screen with the splits and I could hear my splits and see my time on the motorway in the middle of the track. And it really messed with me because I seen like splits were good and I heard, and that was like, really, it like took me away from my focus. And then I felt like I was after the steep, like coming into that section, I was beginning to manage because I seen the screen. I knew it was good. And I'm like, you just have to like get home. Like, and that's not the mindset you want to be in when you're racing the World Cup. So I definitely feel like I didn't crack because I showed up. My splits were good. I never have good first splits. And then it was like a big turning point for me that day as well. Because, yeah, it was what I would consider that thing we call failure, right? Um, it didn't go my way. I crashed. And then I get to the bottom of the track. And I got more hugs, more fist bumps, more people that were like happy for me for a run that I felt like I failed than I ever did in a run that I was, I considered good, but wasn't like a podium. Right. So it like completely shifted. I just needed that one moment to change how I looked at my racing. 
No way, man. That's amazing. Yeah. I, I spoke to Aaron actually last week in an interview and he said that he was on the chairlift with you at Leger World Champs that year going up the track and you said to him like, this is the first race that I've enjoyed being at. So it mm -hmm. sounds like that moment in Lenzerheide had enabled you somehow to like free yourself from a lot of that anxiety you were feeling, eh? Yeah, absolutely. And and I hired a mental coach and um, that really helped, like helped my perspective. But I needed that moment to put it all in perspective, like how far I've come, what I'm doing, what, because you just get, you get so like stuck in this place of it never being enough. Nothing is ever enough. It's like some, you dream of achieving something, you achieve it. And then the next day it's like, okay, well, I got to do it again. That's what I do now. And it's like, yeah. when you don't do that, it's like, oh, it's not, it's not okay. It's not good enough. It's not, you know? So it's, it's, was definitely, that was a big moment for me in my career, that race. And then yeah. Leger was pretty fun. We had full on Bash Brothers. We were getting ready to go up for the lift or go up to the lift for our race runs. And we're riding down the road to the lift. And this dude, like Aaron's riding down the side of the sidewalk and this dude like swerves at him. And I like, we like, we like got into like an altercation with this guy, <laughs> this guy that tried to run over Aaron. And I like stopped and shoved his mirror shut. And he was like revving the car and backing up. So we almost got, we almost didn't make it up for that one. <laughs> Amazing. World Champs as well. That was, that was a hell of an event that the yeah. track, the crowd, like everything about it. Yeah. That's one of those moments that, when you like see, I mean, I felt like I had a good result there. I got eighth and I, it was the, the best, um, the best eighth place I've ever gotten because I did it and I enjoyed it. And then you come down to the bottom and you watch like that dream moment. Right. And there's a few of those moments that I, I've really felt throughout my career where like you, you, like you want that like so bad you see that moment and you're like you wonder what that would be like it's like to the point where it almost brings tears to your eyes and i've had a couple of those in my career and it's like that was a that's like special special even like being there little and seeing like where the sport of downhill is and seeing someone get to experience a moment like that as an athlete you can really appreciate that and you're just like that's what i want to work for and that's what you want to achieve as an as a as a downhill racer yeah, hundred percent. Being well, the picture behind me, Loic on the podium at that World Champs must have felt pretty special. Just being in the crowd there was incredible. So, yeah, it's definitely. Uh, it, I can understand where that motivation comes from. And we went, we went on from there to Val de Sol. End of the season, a lot of riders were pretty tired, I think, and there was a little bit of lethargy around the pit. Um, but the track was brutal as ever. Um, and yeah, you and Aaron both had a good race, seemed to be enjoying it, finding your groove there. Third place on a track like that, like a, a track that everyone says is a rider's track. Like I think it's a track that's high on a lot of riders' list of places they'd like to go well at. That must have felt like a really good way to finish off a, a pretty awesome season. Yeah. Yeah. That was, a, that was you flash back to Lenzerhide. I qualified well and I didn't deliver. And kind of looking at that, I was able to take some of that mindset and develop the soul, qualified well and was able to sleep well, kind of kept it chill and was just okay with whatever. I mean, of course, like, yeah, I wanted a podium. And then I kind of, that race craft is kind of developed in my career. I've, I've been able to like work on my race craft through these moments. And 
you look at that moment would have crippled me before. Like I would have been miserable. I wouldn't have been able to sleep. I couldn't have ate dinner. Like I would have been in sh- like not shambles, but like, like heavily bothered by it. And then you look at that race where I was able to just, I had a little more experience in this situation. I was able to accept that if I have a good run, I'll be on the podium. If I don't, well, I mean, I can wrap up with top 10 here, hopefully pretty easy. Get out of the season on a, on a high, um, start building for next season. And yeah, I was able to, to back it up. I mean, it was nothing special um, as far as like a Valisol race run, just because everyone, I think, makes such a big deal out of Valisol. They're always, oh, it's so hard on the hands. It's so physical. The track's dead. Like, it's too rough. They need to do something about this. And like, when everyone starts doing that, I'm just like, <laughs> like, let's go. Because <laughs> <Okay. laughs> I never have hand issues at World Cups. Um, I train super hard in the offseason. I ride a ton of moto. Um, and I feel like that's like one of those things that really is a benefit to me. It's just like how I can physically hold on on these long, rough tracks. And, and like even Mount St. Anne this year, it was really rough. Like I, I got If I know I'm having hand issues, like you're getting arm pump, like dudes are struggling. So I tend to do better at those long, rough physical tracks. And those are what I look forward to in the season, which that's, I, I really dig that. And I want more of that style of racing, but um, I think when it's really easy to go fast, a lot of dudes take a lot of risk and go fast. And that's, those races are the ones I tend to not do as well at, which would be like Leo gang or lenser hide or, um, I mean, I've historically done good at Lenser Hyde just because of the BMX, but that kind of style of racetrack. I guess Andorra is almost like that now where it's a bit quicker. Um, but, yeah, what a, what a way to end the season. I mean, long, rough physical track. Was able to get the team overall on the day, which was like a real big cherry on the top. Um, but it was really nice going into the off season, having that feeling of like being at the front. But I almost think – it would be better if everyone went into the off season a little more hungry. Uh, okay. It's like interesting. You almost, when you have moments like that, you almost like, okay, yeah, we're there. And it's like, there's someone else that was almost there and is really hungry. You know, it's like, yeah. and you gotta remember that. So it was a cool way to end the season, but it's the last, the only time I've went out to the off season, like, feeling like, yeah, we did something really special at the last round. Usually I kind of go into the off season with a bitter taste. So it's, uh, yeah, it was, it was a little different for sure. Do you think, obviously you had, maybe not comfort, but you had that knowledge that you had the second year on the team kind of thing. So you weren't, you know, looking about trying to find a ride, changing bikes, all of that. And you had that good end to the season. Do you feel like maybe you like backed off a little bit, like in hindsight? Do you know what I mean? Like took the pressure off yourself on the training or no, not necessarily. Um, I think like sometimes, uh, you know, we had a, we had a new bike and again, last season, um, we did get it a lot earlier, like the actual suspension design. Um, we rode it for a couple months before the season and, but didn't actually have the race bike until a couple weeks before the racing. Um, just like different tubing, um, different, like the whole suspension kinematics were the same, but just like the, the, the way of the frame, like what tubing was used where, 
um, they took a ton of weight off the bike. So we were riding a bike that was like five pounds lighter than the one we had been training on in the off season. So that affects suspension okay. setup and stuff. And I think going yeah. into this season, I did more in terms of suspension than I ever had done. Um, I had always ran a pretty basic setup. Um, and I got definitely, definitely more in depth with suspension tuning and different kind of strategies or however you want to call it than I had, um, in the past, just running faster rebound, uh, running a bit more compression, maybe a bit less, uh, or more, more sag. And I had been got pretty deep into it before the suspension or before the race season started. And, uh, yeah, just overall, like anytime, like you do something, at your track at home, if you can put the wheels on the perfect part of the track, um, in every, you know, on every inch of the track, you can run crazy fast rebound. You can run the bike crazy stiff or crazy soft. And then you show up to a world cup track and you kind of just get a reality check. So <laughs> like Windrock, man, I, I had it using full travel and it would bottom out once a run. And I thought it was great. And then I showed up and I didn't go anywhere to test preseason, which is like, maybe I should have done that. Um, and I showed up, I went overseas to Morsey and bottomed out six times a run to the point where I, th- <laughs> I thought my crowns were going through my seals. <laughs> and I, was, I went to the union test camp. Um, Santa Cruz did like a, a test week and my girlfriend rides for the union. Um, so I went, they were nice enough to, to host me and, and have me over there and, spend some time with them for a week before the first world cup. And I got over there and I was like, Oh no. (laughs) (laughs) I just spent two months going down a rabbit hole in 500 to a thousand runs that I was like, we're in trouble. Like we are in a bad place and kind of had to reel it back in and get back to reality a little bit before the first world cup. No way. Do you think what you'd learned going down that rabbit hole helped you get back to a a good setup for world cup tracks quicker though. Yeah. I mean, we just, I kept everything the same and then just added spring rate, decreased sag. Um, and I guess made my sag appropriate for that track. Um, just overall the spring rate. I mean, I was kind of, um, I just had was really undersprung. And I guess a lot of that is just because I have been looking for comfort out of the bike and just trying to get around the fact that, uh, man these things to go that fast on them they get really they're really stiff and they're really hard to hold on to um so maybe going in a bit of a different direction of trying to get some more comfort back yeah do you think you'll do more like world cup style speed and track work this off season then like or is there a risk involved in that that a lot of riders don't want to touch unless they're actually a world cup track like it's hard to get that balance eh? that's a big question um and something i've been spending a ton of time thinking about of like how to improve and you know you look at motocross guys they spend a ton of time on the turn track you can ride i mean other than ruts in your knees you can ride a turn track until you're you can't hold on anymore. And it's a low risk of injury just because the, there's no jumps. Like a lot of the big injuries happen on, on jumps, um, either a with bike mechanicals or rider mechanicals <laughs> riding or riding, riding errors. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, it's like, how can we ride higher speed safer? And that's been the thing that's 
been really hard for me to wrap my head around is you go to these World Cup tracks and they're so much faster in terms of average speed than everything I ride at home. And I think my local mountain is kind of dangerous. Um, there's the sides of the tracks are not cleared super well. The rocks are really sharp. Um, it's, it's overall like you don't want to crash there. Like if you go blow off the track into the woods, it's not like you see these dudes riding lomers in the UK and they can just explode and then they slide out and they're okay. And it's like, they laugh and get up. Like if I crash at home, like I'm going to be hurt. Like it's, it's pretty jagged. So it's like, how do I find a way to ride faster in a safe environment? Like, how do I find that limit? And I've been really spending a ton of time thinking about that. And I talked to the motocross guys quite a bit. We went to Club MX for their open house last week. And I was able to kind of talk to some um, high-level athletes in other sports and, and try to understand, like, how they prepare to race motocross. And I think they are just trying to ride a little bit better for 30 minutes, right? Or have more intensity for the first 10 minutes. And I just, it's very hard for me to relate to that considering we race for three minutes to two to four, maybe five minutes, usually two to four minutes um, with such tight margins. I think you just have to get um, a bit more comfortable going at a higher speed. So it's like, where can we find a safe place to do that? To push that limit. And if you do have a crash, like, as long as you have pads on, like you're going to be able to get up and be all good. And that's been something I've been really spending a lot of time thinking about. And maybe it's just on a trail bike in a grass field, riding flat corner slalom. Maybe that's how you get better at it. Or, um, I don't really have a good answer. And I, we need, we need to go fast safely. <laughs> yeah. It's the ongoing puzzle, yeah. right? It's a tricky Fine. one getting ready to to race a workout like everyone seems to say they turn up they think everything's mint they've done all the training the bike setup's great they turn up at a world cup and they're like oh it's quite fast here but it seems to happen like year on year it's hard to break that cycle right? yeah and you look at we look at motocross and like like i when i went to club mx i mean i was one of my buddies runs the pro shop there he doesn't run the factory race shop but he runs the pro shop and you look at jeremy martin's there and the dude's living in the cabin you know right next to where my buddy stays that he's out running in the morning and then he's in the gym and everything is like centralized and literally the only thing they have to worry about is eating and training and they have every track they could ever need there's a, a sand like a, a supercross track that he rodes faster to work on ruts there's a whoop track there's a sand track there's you know an amateur motocross track that's really fast their technical front track and it's like there's every tool you could need is there. they just but our sport is not there yet and we don't have anyone we have such a big push in mountain biking um building for the, the bottom of the pyramid like the the beginner the average consumer grow the sport get more people in but we have no dirt works no like mm. builder for the one percent and that's yeah, we, we, we are almost doing very little development for the one percent which is quite interesting for me when you see kids you have this new generation of mountain bike kids that have rode mountain bikes since a young age like strictly mountain bikers and they're doing backflips at seven years old and they're phenomenal and there is almost i mean 
80% as good as we are at in their, you know, early teens. What, at what point do we start building for those riders in the future? Um, when does the focus shift from, from, you know, getting more people into the sport. Now we have so much to get people in the sport. The majority of the building is being done for the average mountain biker. It would be really nice if we had a place um, that was specific to the 1%, um, like a Club MX, an MTF, or like, you know, we, I think the only real place I can think of to go to that is, has tracks for, that 1% is Morzine or maybe New Zealand Jeep dream track. There's good tracks in New Zealand, but it's so far and few between for um, development for the top of the sport. And I think at some point in time, we're going to see riders start to kind of fall out of the sport if they don't have a way to continue to progress because there's like, even where I'm at now, it's like, how do I get better? I really, I really almost don't have an answer to that question. Like what is the main place like where can i go what can i do to become a better mountain bike rider like i know i need to go to the uk and ride in the mud and roots i need but i've gotten pretty good at steep stuff you know and it's like that is the question of like at some point in time there's going to be a time where there needs to be someone or something for that selector group coming yeah i think that's why dovey's maybe been so popular with a lot of the workout riders over here Mm -hmm. because i mean it's definitely at the upper end of bike parks in the UK. And uh, I think it's the only place that provides sort of speed and duration that's anything close to a World Cup, which, you know, Bernard's moved nearby and like, there's often, you go any day of the, of the week when it's open and there's there's at least one World Cup rider generally floating about somewhere getting some training in. So, yeah, seeing people like Dan Atherton um, building things like that, maybe we need more of that around the world, I guess. But I'd like to see yeah, it. Yeah, hard to find it. <laughs> Hard to find the space. Yeah, man, you have to come over. Dovey's a, Dovey's a lot of fun. Let's talk a bit about this 23 season then, man, because it started off in, in Lenzerheide. I think you got a ninth place, which is a good start to any season. Again, new bike. Um, you lost Aaron, unfortunately, in that race. He had a pretty nasty crash, which took him out for the rest of the season. And he's a significant part of the team. Like, you guys seem to ride together a lot in practice when you're both healthy. Like, does that have an impact on you losing someone like Aaron so early in the season? Yeah, for sure. Kind of took the wind out of the sails. I think Aaron is really good to have on track and to ride with and, and that kind of a thing. But more so, I just think the energy in which he brought to the program is really critical. It's like missing a puzzle piece. The puzzle never feels complete without that missing piece. Um, me and Joe rode together a ton and we were to balance ideas from suspension setup to lines. And, and really, I grew up a great relationship with Joe Breeden over the course of the season and enjoyed riding with him. And we did our thing and had a great time, but definitely the race in, races Aaron was missing from was a bit of a bummer overall. It's just, he brings like so much positivity and so much energy to the program. It's just really nice having him there, having him in the, in the, in the pit during practice, just kind of going through the deal and having the whole team, it's like being down a cylinder, you know, <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> yeah. he was able to come to some races and hang out and then, uh, actually killed it in the, uh, in the booth for the, uh, broadcast. So, yeah. um, I think he was able to like make some value and, and then find a way to still be at the races and, and make an impact and bring insight and create value like he wants to. He wasn't making, you know, he was definitely helping us within the team and creating value, but like, you know, like overall just, 
finding something that he's happy being there, happy doing and, and keeping the, keeping everything moving. Yeah. But not a bad person to have on the side of the track during practice, I guess, like picking up on lines, looking at what people are up to yeah. and, and that that's pretty helpful. <laughs> it's kind of funny. He's like, yep, both of these are good options. Whatever one you ride good, will be good. <laughs> it's going to be great. <laughs> Just ride either of these two as fast as you can. <laughs> That's probably the best advice, right? Rather than trying to force a rider to a line that maybe they don't feel good on or feel comfortable on just because it's like 0.1 faster or something. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's just good having him there. And the way he looks at a racetrack was really insightful for me because even though we raced together and I followed him and throughout the course of, you know, the 22 season, in 23, he was like, he wasn't racing. And not that we keep secrets by any means, but he'd be like, oh, yeah, maybe get a little bit here, <laughs> get a little bit there. <laughs> it was cool just to have him, like, you know, be able to spend less time thinking about, like, his own race and more be invested in our race, if that makes sense. Yeah, totally. It really does. So how, let's split the season down into kind of halves. I guess the first half, Lenzhide up to sort of Andorra couple of top 10s a top 15 a few races where it didn't quite go your way how are you feeling like how are you gelling with the bike and like the mindset and all that side of things in that first half man couldn't decide on a spring rate <laughs> it was really, <laughs> really it was getting me in trouble uh yeah well i went to valdesol i i went to valdesol and i had the bike a bit softer and I just felt like maybe it wasn't supportive enough and I knew I was riding fast. We didn't have any time training. So I didn't really have like a, a gauge on how fast I was going against the other top guys. And I just got up there in my qualifying run and decided to ride pretty fast and see where I stacked up and then bottomed the fork and went over the handlebars. Jumped into a big hole that I didn't really realize was there and just absolutely got spit over the bars. And then Tebow went past me and I gave him a little bit of time and then dropped in behind him and ended up catching him by the bottom. And I was like, no way. okay, um, even though I didn't get my qualifying run I wanted, I'm on pace. So then went up there and I knew I, I like wanted to try to compete for a win at Valdezol. I thought that was capable of you know the way I've been riding and my speed. And I hadn't had a chance to show how well I was riding. And when and I had went to a, a longer frame and I was really confident that that was going to make a big change. And it was like really, or I had not gone to the longer frame yet. I was still on the shorter bike. Uh-huh. It was later in the season, but overall was confident in the way I was riding, ended up changing my spring rate on race day. And it was fine in practice because it was really slippery in the morning in Valdezol. And then once I got in my semi-final, I was, could not keep the wheel on the ground because it got the, the rebound was so fast with that spring, with the spring change. And then it got really hot. And then I just like uh, couldn't yeah. control the bike. And instead of like having the confidence to just back off and ride it to the bottom, it was like kept, it was trying to push and it was still really high up on the track and just ended up riding, missing a line in the only place where you could really mess it up. Like the most critical corner on the track, I blew it. Like just hit something coming in, got bucked, missed my breaking point, blew over the berm and then was in the tape and it was over. It was like definitely didn't, go the way I wanted to, like I lost my mind. Like 
completely out like behavior that was completely unacceptable like was so mad and then kind of just formulated a plan to go stay in Europe for the rest of the summer and ride the best tracks in the best place possible and just go to work um, flew home for national champs and then immediately flew back to Europe after national champs and just stayed there um, for the whole rest of the year and trained fair play so just deep into like bike setup stuff then? yeah just to get comfort comfortable like in general like I felt like I was in a pretty good place and I had some things I wanted to try and just never got to answer those questions preseason and uh, didn't feel like I had done enough work to find confidence. I'm one of those riders that even if I know it's not going to work, I have to check that box to create confidence. Like yeah. I think Menard's kind of like that where it's like, he just has to get it out of his head or else it just like pollutes the waters, so to speak, <laughs> you know? So I just, I went back for two weeks before, um, what race was that? Middle of the season. You had a race list there. I don't remember what the middle of the race was. Uh, we went to worlds. Worlds and before Andorra. worlds. Yeah. So I, Stever welded up a longer frame, um, in, on short notice. And I went like nine millimeters longer with the frame. And like the first lap I did on it, I was like, what have I been doing? Like, just felt like I had been just wasting. Cause when I went to YT, it was either 460 or 480. And I went to a shorter bike. Um, and I just like went to the longer bike, ran my bars where I wanted them, regardless of whatever anybody had to say about it. I ran my, I got a longer frame, ran my bars to the moon and was shredding. <laughs> and then it was like, okay, you're like, now we can, we can go race and uh, tested some other stuff on the bike that I had had issues with and just like rode every combination possible that I needed to like, and I was, it was me, no mechanic, just absolutely hammering runs, making changes and hammering runs. And like, I got everything in a good place that I was like really confident in. And then just was able to get so many runs that, was able to turn turn the whole year around just like find that nice. find that confidence yeah what other than the the reach then what was the what were the kind of big levers that you found really worked for you to get that bike hooking i i changed offset so i did some uh -huh. trail adjustments uh i did some different tire combinations um we had some new wheels uh spoke tensions um <laughs> Uh, suspension suspension setup links like i was like changing every links shocks forks everything like just me and a multi-tool at the plenty lift station just like the nina's mechanic was like dude put the allen wrenches down what are you doing like stop and like you're out of control dude you're a tweaker <laughs> by the end of the season he was like well i guess it worked for you so I mean, yeah, there's not a lot of dudes that are willing to pull crowns in between laps, changing stems and <laughs> crowns and the whole line. Good effort. But if, yeah, if you found it a way to get the bike turned on, then that's pretty awesome. We yeah. should, you mentioned bar height, so we should talk about the DAC stack as it's become known. Um, obviously, there's a big moto background for you. Is that So is it a comfort thing? And do you have to like, are you making adjustments elsewhere to make that bar height work or does it just work for you it's a bit of an optical illusion because the intense frame has like such a short head tube that like it uh -huh. looks like i'm monstrously to the sky 
but it's really 10 mil higher than a lot of dudes. Okay. Um, and if you set it next to Minar, it's like pretty close to Minar's bike. Um, mine are a little higher than his, but uh, it's just, I find so much comfort in just standing up. I never want to feel like I'm getting pushed um, out, out the front door. <laughs> it's like never something I want is to feel like I'm getting bucked over the handlebars. I want to just be able to jump into everything and know I'm going to stand centered and neutral and I'm not going to have to move around on the bike. And I can just kind of stand there and kind of lean and never really get too forward, never get back. Just kind of like be really centered on the bike. Have you gone any higher with it? Like what happens if you go either way from that position that you've settled on? <laughs> if I could go higher, I would. <laughs> okay. Fair I'm afraid the bolts are going to snap. <laughs> 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 I, I did send Renthal a DM. I'm like, hey, y'all, what do y'all feel about a 50 mil pair of bars? <laughs> <laughs> oh, but uh, yeah, I just, I went to a longer front center with a higher bar and because whenever like I get to Europe, it's steep. I feel uncomfortable. I feel like I'm getting pushed forward. So I raise the bars and then the bike is tiny. And I really don't understand. Like, I really don't think that a lot of the average consumer really understands what we mean when we say testing or bike changes or like what we go through to ride at the level we do. And I didn't, mm-hmm. I think that, I really have found it interesting, like the perception of the, the let's call it the average mountain biker, the normal dude that probably doesn't even check his fork pressure when he goes and rides. You know, when I'm talking about running, so you know, changing spoke tension, changing offset, changing three mil in the reach, making a big difference, like one PSI. Like they don't, I don't think people actually understand like, Oh yeah, I was doing some testing. I don't think they understand that I ran how many combinations of fork pressure to compression clickers or, or what we can really feel and what we need when the bike is absolutely on the limit to make, yeah. to, to make it not feel like the wheels are getting light or the bike squatting too much. And you have to lean forward on the handlebars to turn. I, I, and it's, I mean, I did, I was doing like 10 runs a day for like six, seven days in a row. And like, I might've ran four different sets of tires in a day. I might've changed. I mean, I, I literally never did a run for 200 runs without making a change either to a four clicker, um, a bar height an offset. Like I'm, I'm, you know, like running, my bars at 25 mil underneath the stem with a six millimeter headset cup compared to 20 millimeters underneath the stem with a three millimeter headset cup. When we went to Andorra, um, what race did we go to? We went to one race and the bike, I, I changed reach and bar height and fork pressure for four laps in a row. Like like worlds, we, we ran the bike at three millimeter with a 0.5 slacker cup. And then with the bars at 20 mil, and then I felt like I needed to go to 25 mil and then the bike felt cramped. So we ran a six millimeter cup for finals. Like, I don't think people actually understand, like, and maybe I'm unique with these changes. And some guys like Charlie Hatton has had how many years on the same bike, the same parts. And he's like, this is where he's really comfortable. And he never changes a clicker and, or they don't change progressions or they don't change 
you know, things, but like light will change a spring and a link depending on the track. And I, yeah. and I'm a person that also makes changes like that. So you may run a 550 spring with a linear link or a 600 spring with a progressive link and you're only changing dynamic sag 2%. And then because you're changing springs, the rebound has to change. And I don't, it's like to get it right for the race run. And not only are you getting, you're almost predicting what you're going to need because you can't go there until you go there. Like yeah, until yeah. you get that adrenaline and get in that situation and the track is cleaned off and you're under pressure, you can't ride that fast. No one can. You always go five seconds faster than practice in your race run. And you have to have the support you need for that or else you just can't stay on the bike. Yeah, yeah. Or yeah, it's experience, isn't yeah. it? Which is why all that testing becomes so important, man. It's uh yeah, it's cool to hear you've been smashing the laps and putting the yeah. puzzle to bed. So it's good stuff. It's good. And um you you've mentioned that you like you've learned to get more comfortable with steep stuff, bar height helps with the steep stuff. So we've got to talk about Ludenville. Steep track, new track, looks super cool. I had massive FOMO that I didn't go to that one. It looked wicked. Um and it really seemed to start getting going for you there there's been talk and i think you've said in the past like you're a bit of a slow burner like you you work your way into your runs you tend to be faster in the lower splits but it looked like you were kind of all guns blazing from the from the very start of Lunaville, man like talk us through that weekend from your perspective yeah uh qualifying had crashed and was in like was up there like in i think i, I don't know i was like 20th or 30th was fully off the bike sliding um and qualified kind of halfway decent and then it and it was it was dry and i just overrode one section but felt like i was riding really well uh, um all week uh had qualified really really well at andorra and never got to show um i like yeah. had had a pretty big mistake in the first corner at andorra it was could have ate a sandwich in the first corner and qualified six and i was just like and then we got rained out. So I like kind of felt like I wanted to prove what speed I had, I guess, and got a bit ahead of myself in qualifying and crashed. Um, got caught out in a pretty simple section, just wasn't confident enough to use the brakes where I needed to. And then semis, it was really slippery. And uh, I actually followed Joe in the morning. British guy, he's pretty good in the wet. So... Uh, you kind of used him to see what the pace was, not used, but I mean, we, he follows me a lot. So I took my opportunity <laughs> to follow him <laughs> and uh, yeah, just kind of putzed it through the semi, got it into the show. I knew it would be super easy to make a mistake. Um, and, the, and with how narrow the track was, the mistakes could be really costly. Cruised her through and then just got up there and decided that I was going to um, give it. <laughs> you, you definitely went ham man you could see yeah. it like it, it looked like it was it was very much on the edge for a lot of that run yeah and i never look like that like i feel like i mean maybe sometimes i do look like that but <laughs> when i watch my runs back i like think of how i felt and i felt like i was absolutely on the edge like swinging off of it and i'm like i look like i'm on a sunday drive <laughs> and then i watched that run and i was like i don't i mean that was my career best result. And I fully missed the line and slid 
almost crashed, got back on the track, clipped both my feet in. Like I had both feet out sliding on and off camber five foot lower than where I should have been. Don't even know how, what I don't, I couldn't even tell you what was down there. I just slid, missed the, like was in the air when I needed to turn and was all of a sudden down here and sliding and just kind of kept going, kept going for it and almost won a world cup. I mean, old Lloyd Bruni, he, uh, came through to do what he does. <laughs> 0. 0.7. That's kind of got a smart a bit. Eh? That's so close, dude. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I went down like 45 minutes before those guys. So, um, I was sitting down there forever waiting and it, I think it definitely tacked up and got slower, like it rolled slower than when I went. Cause when I went, there was very little okay. grip, but it would have rolled fast. And then the sun yeah. came out. It probably got a bit tacky, slowed things down, and then probably came back around towards the end of the day. Or Lloyd just did what Lloyd does. I mean, his his ride at Andorra in the mud was absolutely the most underrated ride of the day. It was phenomenal. I, I honestly don't understand how he rode that fast in those conditions. And then at Ludenville, he definitely showed why he is one of the best, if not the best in the world. Um, when it's hard, he's really good. So... I definitely think if I wouldn't have made those mistakes, could have won a World Cup. Yeah, but also second at a World Cup Pretty on cool. a brand new track. Yeah, like level playing field. No one knew the track. Like that's got to be a good feeling. You must have sort of been pretty fired up coming into Leje. Yeah, for sure. Um, absolutely. Like it's just yeah, it was like kind of bittersweet. Like. I like was sitting there in the podium and or sitting there in the hot seat and I was going, man, like it'd be really cool to get a podium. I don't, I would probably be a top 10. And then it was like, there's a podium. And then it was like, well, I could maybe win the race. And that was like pretty, pretty eye opening for me. It was the first time I like thought I could win. Um, so kind of like got my hopes up a little bit and then was like career best result. You can't really, I mean, can't be too upset about that yeah it's a good weekend yeah out, good, sure. good weekend out if you will yeah and you seemed in good spirits in leger and uh things things were going well strong quality and semi i think you were third in both yeah i third in quality felt like i rode pretty good well um third in the semi flatted at the bottom so like i was like yeah. it was really weird because i was like it felt more like a final to me. Just, I don't really know why I got to the bottom and I was like, Oh, third, sick. And I was like, wait, I gotta do this again. And I, <laughs> I got a broken rim, <laughs> you know? And I was like, ah, no, you know, I mean, I was just like kind of nursed it at the bottom. So I knew like I was once again, knew I could probably go do a pretty good one. And then, yeah. um, yeah, I just pushed the front. I went to like turn over a rut. And uh, it was a line I'd been hitting all week because the rut kind of ran you off the track and it had a tendency to make you want to like kind of check up and hit the brakes. So I sat up, went to go turn across the rut. And when I went to push to kind of hop the rut, I pushed too hard. And it was like the stuff on the back of the rut where it like was all dusty and it just tucked the front. And I honestly didn't need, I had to go back and watch the video to know what happened. Cause I had no idea how I hit the ground. It was just like went out from under me so fast that I had no idea. And then it was just like, but to go do that and like 
qualified third, semi third, knew I could have been on for a good result and then like just crash and go, you know, I gave it my all. It's all good. Like, yeah, it's all good. It's okay. Um, was, was pretty like still trying like a moment for growth and like kind of was after Val the soul, like not necessarily, like I wasn't even in the final, but not being in a good place in terms of like accepting failure or like getting mad at myself or getting upset at whatever. Um, there was just like, I gave it my best effort and it didn't go my way and being okay with that, like trying to be okay with that, like kind of was not being like, I didn't have an urge to like yell at the bottom, you know, it was just like, you know, I, That's good. I gave it my all, like I didn't want to go disappear and just be upset. It was just like, I did everything I possibly could. And then I was dumping gravel out of my goggles. So it's like, what are you going to do? You know, be content with your, like Aaron always says, be content with your effort. And that's something what, yeah. like I've been trying to work on. Yeah. And I think, you know, you at this point you're really starting to build, I don't know how it works for you, but for me, like I'm quite evidence-based, I guess. And, and it, if I was building those results, like a third in qualies and a third in semi is still awesome results. Okay, it didn't convert on race day, but you've got a second, you've got two thirds, and these are all like evidence in your mind that, mm-hmm. okay, next time we go racing, like yeah. I'm, do- I'm pretty good at this. Yeah. It's got, it's got to start getting there. And right? through this whole like process as, you know, I'm getting these like little tastes or breadcrumbs of like, okay, qual- had, had issues in, in qualified sixth um at andorra uh was was on pace here and you know i third here in the semi you know i was sitting there at this race you know and then i'm looking at the dudes that got third in the semi i was like wow i wish i could do that and then here i am doing it and it's just like the whole process of proving to yourself that you're you're a top guy and proving to yourself that you can compete to win the race which is like a whole new shift in mindset for me like i've never believed i could win before and this is like i'm getting i'm starting to get this like idea that it can happen and i can do it and it's like manifesting you know um throughout the second half of the season there when things were going right and i was comfortable and everything was dialed in and i'm riding well it's like my head is getting to the point where like you can podium on any track any weekend if you have a good run so just you know it's like trying to get that become more normal with that way of thinking. Yeah, totally. And you picked up a, a helmet sponsor with GoPro. Mm-hmm. Was that that was a mid season thing as well, mm-hmm. wasn't it? Yeah, just kind of like and a that, little boost. I guess that. Yeah, I was going to say that must help with the confidence, right? Like having a big brand like that kind of getting behind you, and like a lot of these top riders, you know, they've got a, some kind of energy drink or whatever, like a helmet sponsor. It's almost seems to be a rite of passage kind of thing that must have been another little confidence yeah boost. for sure absolutely it made me feel good like it was just like your hard work is not going unnoticed you know like what you're putting like what you put into this like i mean of course you know like when i'm the only dude that's flying back to europe early like i easily could fly in and it would be easy like go home spend time hanging out with my dog spending time with my girlfriend living at home, like 
you know, seeing my family, seeing my friends, like it would be a nice to have a reset. And like, I'm doing the exact opposite, <laughs> like going against the grain of what would be easy. Like, I mean, I remember at one point, like I was like sitting there and I'm trying and I'm literally trying to put a headset cup in with a two by four that I found laying in the field over here, like at the place we were staying. And I'm just like, what am I doing? Like, why do I do this to myself? <laughs> like, <laughs> this is terrible, you know? And, and I broke the, like on the fork, the front brake holder, I broke it, snapped it. And I'm like, how do I get one of these? Like, what? Uh, and I'm like having to ask people for stuff. And I hate, I hate under all circumstances, nothing more than hate having to ask for things, zip ties, but I don't like, I don't have a car. Like I don't, I have a multi-tool and like whatever tools I can like steal off Jim from the union when he's, when he's there, he lets me use his toolbox, but I'm like walking around the house, just trying, <laughs> trying to find what I could. It would be so easy to go and do the exact opposite, go home, hang out, have all my stuff, ride my dirt bike, hanging out. And like kind of makes it worth it. You know, when you like go and you work hard and you like see the direct benefit of what your hard work is, it's, it makes it completely yeah, worth it. Yeah. Totally man. And then on to snowshoe home world cup, uh, always an interesting chat track that throws a lot of challenges in the mix. I think you, you US guys are maybe a bit more familiar with it than some people, but I don't think that makes the track easy by any stretch of the imagination. Um, a crash in semis, like how do you like reboot after something like that? Cause you, you know, then if you want to have a good race, you've got to go through that section probably faster than you were riding it when you crashed on it and stay on the bike. Like, how do you get into the headspace to believe like I can overcome that? Yeah. Um, come out of a corner, started pedaling and tipped over. I mean like racing incident, you can't really like get upset with yourself for like, Something like I, I wouldn't if you could have. If I had fifty guesses of where I could have crashed on that track, I wouldn't have chose right there. It was the lowest speed corner on the track, super easy to ride through it. I just like trying to sprint too hard and tuck the front on a route, and it's like maybe just rushing it a bit. But I was able, like I got up and I was like, dude, like it was a flat, flat section uphill where I got going. And I was like, you have to ride as fast as you possibly can right now, or you're not going to be in the final. Yeah. And like ended up fifth or sixth place or something like that. And I was just like, <laughs> like what? <laughs> what? <laughs> what? And like, it, I, I rode absolutely on the limit, was not afraid to, I mean, it's, these tracks are brutal. I wasn't afraid to flat a tire, break a rim, wasn't afraid to crash. I just absolutely pegged the thing and um rode faster than i ever had through that rock garden it was absolutely terrifying but um got the job done and then it was like it was like a relief but then i had to go up and like knew after doing that i was like i could win this race and then i'm like ah, <laughs> ah no as well, man. no <laughs> you know it'd be nice if i just had like a nice cruisy one and then could have went and raced so i'm like okay if I just have a good run, I'll podium. And I was trying to get top 10 in the overall. That was like a huge goal of mine. And I'm sitting there going, Oh man, like this is going to be, you know, difficult. And then warm up was pretty nervous as, as normal warm up, got in a good place. 
Um, my girlfriend didn't qualify. So she actually went to the trainer with me until I got on the trainer and kind of hung out. So I had like a bit of comfort, which was nice. You know, my mechanic was there and my girlfriend was there. Um, but it was just difficult because I went to go get in the starting gate. Normally you're at the top of the mountain. There's nobody up there. Everybody's down to watch the screen. And there's like so many people staring at me and like people from home, America, like other you know, fans. And they're like, they get in the starting gate and they're like, oh, don't let us down. Like no. playing the American anthem, like screaming US, chanting USA. And I was just sick in my helmet, like miserable. I was like, I, this is not like if I could have picked a day, like I thought I could do something great. It wasn't in that environment. Uh-huh. And like I like made my mind up that I was going to go try to ride as fast as I could. And I was like getting halfway down. It was getting so like I didn't wear earplugs. And, it, and I really like because usually some of that stuff will like is kind of nice. Like it gets you pumped up like hearing, hearing, hearing it. But it was like the first time I was like, dang, I should have raced with earplugs in because I would have never heard any of this. I wouldn't have been in this scenario. And it just like made it so difficult to focus. Cause like I have, I'm like, I guess I can't say I have ADHD cause I don't know that I have ADHD, uh-huh. but I really have a hard time focusing in anything. Okay. In life. Like I can't, I have a hard time remembering where I put my keys in my wallet. I have a hard time remembering to do this podcast, I have to put a big yellow sticky note on my counter to not forget things because I get so overwhelmed and I just like, I'm, I'm, I'm a mess. Like when it comes to like focusing um, and remembering things. And then I have this like ability to go to this place when I race that I can't get to in any other aspect of my life. Like when I get off the lift, like I sit in the lift line and when I get off the lift, there's, I don't say a word. Like we, me and my mechanic don't talk. I go through the whole process. He gives me a fist bump and I get going and starting gate. And I like become this different person that like, I'm able to like get super cold. Um, I go to this, uh, this ability to focus that I can't, I can't get to anywhere else. And I wasn't able to get there at snowshoe. Like it was just too much, too many people staring at me, too many people yelling things too. like, and it didn't allow me to, be quiet and have this like quiet place that I can go to, to perform. Um, it was just, yeah, it didn't, didn't do it for me. And I was able to get an American podium, which was amazing. Um, I rode super well. I rode fast. I hit all my marks, but I just lacked that deep focus that I needed to be, to compete for the win. Yeah. How do you, how do you process that then? Cause it's like, those external factors are kind of out of your control, but it doesn't stop it being like disappointing, I guess. I mean, third shouldn't feel disappointing. No, but like shouldn't, said- shouldn't feel disappointing at all. And, and yeah, this is my, and now we're looking at, this is my first year. I've had two podiums. Never have I done that before. And I went from a guy with two podiums in his career to now this is my fifth podium and I'm like solidifying myself. There's like, as you get one more, one more and one more, you become in like rarer air. You know, there's like not, there's a lot of people that have had five or 10 top tens. There's a lot of people that had 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 two or three podiums, but I'm starting to get into that next bracket of guys that are like consistently, which who knows, maybe next year I'm not that guy anymore. 
Like maybe I don't go do it ever again. But the reality is in that moment, like in that, that what I'm saying by that is like, yeah, I think I'm going to try my best to still be at the front. Nothing is certain, but I should be ecstatic. And I'm, I was like a little bit like, and I was happy. I really was happy to get a podium at home. Like it was really special. Um, yeah. But I was just like, it just didn't, I wasn't as happy as I was from second at Ludenville, even though I like got the podium in front of like everyone that watches me race at all the American nationals, everybody I see at Windrock every weekend, like all my friends, um, you know, my family wasn't able to make it, but I mean, it was like, should have been really stoked. And I just felt like I wasn't, it just like the whole like experience sitting in the starting gate just kind of like took the wind out of my sails. I felt like, and it just kind of like made it not as special. Um, even though the race run was good, it was like, man, like I just like, regardless of what the result says, like I'm, I'm being more and more okay with the effort. And, and Aaron has really helped me with that. He just says it all the time. Content with the effort, content with the effort. Like it doesn't go your way. You just got to take it on the chin and accept, you know, you're being a professional. It's just what it is. And yeah, the effort was good. I mean, it was good, but it wasn't what I would expect of myself. Yeah. You're an athlete, right? You hold yourself to high standards, which is why you're good at what you do. But yeah, so we move on from there, final round of the year into what looked like an incredible uh, Monsonam with the leaves falling from the trees and all these kind of colors. And the track looked, the track was awesome to be fair, always seems to put on a good show there. Um, And yet again, you were on a pretty astounding pace that weekend, man. I was content with that effort though. That, that was like, (laughs) I could have won. I'm going to say this one more time. I could have won. Uh, but I had accepted, like I had, I guess what my, um, my mental coach calls it is radical acceptance. Um, I just had, I mean, I struggled all weekend with keeping, keeping the bike rolling, keeping air in the tires, keeping it moving. I mean, Mount St. Anne is brutal. And, two of every five guys coming down the hill didn't have air in the tires. Like there's a lot of sharp rocks early on in the week. And then as, as the, as the overall week, um, goes, goes on, uh, they just picked a lot of the rocks out and it was a little easier to keep, keep the bike with air in the tires. Um, made it through the semi cruisy, um, rode super well and then came into the race run and just was going for it. Like was, was riding the pace I would have wanted to ride the weekend before what I felt I was capable of. I was on the limit. I was going on the limit, going for it. And like, I felt like I was riding super well and just tipped it over. I mean, I didn't do, I wouldn't have done anything different. I just leaned into this corner and I came out a little wide and hit a rock in my front wheel. Just went, and I just tipped over and got up and got going again. And, and then, um, unfortunately, um, flatted at the bottom uh for sixth place point two off the box it was like a bummer like i mean i was just like i mean it made me cry like if that tells how real like the effort was and i was in that place like probably more in a place of focus than i think i've ever been for a world cup race run um just like knew that i would have to like jackson had a phenomenal run in semis and I knew with like with the title, he'd probably go 
pretty hard, but maybe not risk everything. And I knew Jackson would, and I knew I could compete. Um, just gave it my all. And yeah, was fully in tears at the bottom. My girlfriend gave me a big hug and um, everybody like from the team was there and they were all, you know, super nice. And, but yeah, definitely. I like broke the splits down and how long I was on the ground. And I was, I was pretty upset after that. <laughs> but, uh, so were the, the, the tears were through disappointment or like yeah, it was sad. the release no, of just, energy or whenever you do these, these runs, like you kind of get pretty, and I, I've talked about this some like on um, podcasts and stuff, but you get really messed up. Like there's so much adrenaline, so much like that, you these special you know chemicals that get released in your body that helps you do these amazing things when you do that thing and then you get to the bottom like that stuff is still in you and it like Mm -hmm. you almost like i've been in the finish corral and not really know what's going on like i'll like walk past the the hot seat i'm supposed to go there and i'm like all kind of delusional but yeah just overall was i was sad yeah of course like yeah fall down you know, like I was more like I was happy with my effort and content and and like proud of the way I rode, but I was sad at the outcome. And I think that that's okay. It kind of left kind of that little bitter taste in my mouth going into the race season and or going into the off season. I don't necessarily think that's a bad thing at all. Yeah, I was going to say, does it does it give you that little bit more fire in your belly? Like you know that you're able to be on podium pace at multiple tracks around the world now. Yeah. You know that you've had the pace to win at least probably three of the races this year. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the, you're just going to work your ass off. Yeah. Right? You can be the fastest guy and not win. That's why racing is so special and racing will never compare to anything else because you can have all the money in the world and it doesn't guarantee you're going to win. And you can put and the most work out of everybody and some people just may have it that day. It's every, it's every, every day is a new man's day. And that's what I think is, is so special about racing and what makes it like something that I, I love so much and I want to continue to do. But it's like, <laughs> <laughs> but even to be in this position, like, like this is, this is like, okay, yeah, I didn't win a World Cup. I got a second place. I got a third place. I got, I've done, I've had the most amazing year of my career. I mean, I had it all in, for lack of better terms, go to shit. And I still got ninth in the overall, which is something I wanted to achieve. I mean, for the last three years and I've fallen short of every year. I mean, in 2022, I was 10th going into the, into the final and blew it. Like, didn't didn't make top 10 in the overall did the same thing the year before so it's like overall like i'm in a good place like i'm happy with what i'm doing and Mm. i'm like i'm enjoying racing more than i ever have and i think that leads to where i'm at in you know where i'm at on the results list yeah man it's good to see it's good to hear that you're enjoying it as well do do you feel like anything needs to change or do you think it's just like I'm doing all the right stuff. I've got the right recipe. I just need to keep at it. Yeah. I, I think that's a lot of it. It's just perfecting the craft. Right. And just learning more racecraft. Like 
man, some of the like, old Greg, old Greg boy has raced a couple of races in his day. And I mean, that's no excuse. Like you see a dude like Jackson that's just come on the scene and he's like guns a blazing and killing it. I mean, he doesn't have the amount of racecraft that Greg has or Aaron or any, you know, those dudes. So it's not, but I feel like for me personally, like not comparing myself to anyone else, um, I need to keep working on my racecraft and my mental state and being confident with the bike, do the work, spend the money to go somewhere preseason and get a good amount of testing in and get really comfortable. And overall, I think once I get more consistency off the bike, like in terms of like not living in a camper, not building a house in the off season, like not, I mean, getting all my stuff done early. I mean, you look some dudes do a lot of extracurricular activities and still race super well, but I think like, Getting to 80% is easy, you know, like getting to 90% is you can do, but to be the best or to win is like, you have to dedicate your whole life to something. And especially like all these other dudes are. So like, what do you do other than being special on that one day? You know? And I think if I can continue to like have, um, you know, my life at home a lot more consistent, I can maybe have a little more consistency at the race, do the work preseason. So like when these other guys are kind of getting a refresh and coming in level headed and they're not tired, I'm not, you know, I'm not over there. Like I can take those breaks in the middle of the season to rest and refocus rather than like being with the hammer and the chisel mid season. Um, when some of the other guys are, are getting refreshed. Yeah. We, we talked about this, like, repeating thing of uh of having to get familiar with a new bike um rumor has it and I, this could be wrong that intense factory racing won't be at the world cup next year um obviously it's off season it's not a time where we can necessarily go into all of this stuff but do you do you have something you're happy with for 2024 yeah. like are we are we good i'm in a good place like i'm i mean all my stuff is pretty done and dusted at this point in time and I'm really excited with everything going forward and uh, yeah, overall I'm in a good place. I have good people around me. Um, I feel like I've uh, obviously rode well at the end of last season and yeah, I think, I think it's good. Like, I think it's going to be really good. I'm excited. Um, Obviously the rumor mill will swirl, right? (laughs) Of course. (laughs) Uh, It always does. And all the internet, all the internet forums think they got it all figured out. You know, it's kind of funny to watch. It is, but I mean, you got to figure a lot of those, a lot of those rumors won't be true, and some of them may. Who knows? But it's you know it's a tricky year. There's a lot of brands that are struggling and race teams that won't be there. So yeah, yeah you've you've earned it, man. You've put the good results in at a time where it's been probably even more important than normal. So yeah, good on you, dude. Yeah, appreciate. How it. have you found the new format this year? Because we've had some pretty significant changes. Um, and it does ask a bit of maybe not necessarily more, but it's definitely different for the riders. How have you found it personally? Yeah, it's been really interesting because I don't really like sitting around and waiting all day to race. Like it's kind of nice to stay busy and keep going through the motions, but I haven't quite perfected like how much I should warm up, how fast I should go. Cause like when I kind of sneak through the semi and don't really go for points and save it for the final, then I like feel like I could have something on the table. Right. Mm-hmm. And it's just getting that, that, uh, effort level to like kind of be, try to be top five, be okay with being top 10. Don't really want to be top 15 because it's going to affect, 
Um, it could affect the track that you have versus the top guys. I mean, it could go in your favor. Um, it could work against you, but just like not like Leger, I, I like I said, qualified third, um, semifinal third. For those that don't keep track, I know it's uh, I keep track because it's very personal to me, but <laughs> nobody nobody else probably does, <laughs> other than you that maybe looked it up. But like when I have a weekend like that. It's like I made a ton of points, even though I crashed in the final. Like made a ton of points. Um, it was almost like I did average in the final. But then I felt like I had like going into the final, it lost a lot of the spark. Mm. And now, like Ludenville, I was like twelfth or fifteenth in the semi. Like squeaked it through, and then was kind of upset. And then still had to wait around a long time for the final. And then ended up doing good, but it was like, then I gave up a lot of points in the semi, even though I did really good in the final. So it's, I haven't quite perfected the equation. And as far as, uh, I think the second part of the question was how I enjoyed it. Man, it does. I, I, as much as I would like to say, yeah, I like the semi. I, you know, it's, it's good for me when I'm consistent um, it's good for a consistent rider. It teaches more consistency and rewards consistency rather than like a go for broke style, which I would like to see more reward for consistency and less like kamikaze runs. Um, and I don't know how to achieve that, but it's like it kind of takes some of the spark away from the final. It just like you come down the semifinal, you're like, that was sweet. And then you're like, wait, that wasn't the final. I've got to go do it again. <laughs> go do that again. Yeah. <laughs> and that part's like, eh, you know, it's kind of, I feel like for the fans, it doesn't have the same energy. No, it doesn't. It doesn't like, like even like snowshoe, it was like home, cool, home race. And I got to the bottom. Ooh, that was cool. And it was special, but it wasn't like, 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 I mean, it was pretty magic. Like seeing like a guy got sent some like cell phone clips of like everyone when I was coming down and it was mental. It was like this amazing special moment, but compared to like it just it wasn't the same i don't think personally maybe it's just like the build-up of us for riders when we have to like the build-up feels more maybe when it's just one race run i don't know but i feel feel like for me like my fitness i think it was good okay that's cool yeah do you feel like certain riders maybe benefited over others in that change like do you think it suits certain i don't know whether it's fitness or personality types or i mean it definitely fit the dudes that were qualified through the semi (laughs) (laughs) definitely fit them right right? when you're competing for top five in the overall you start getting to the top like it's not really fair i don't think personally i mean maybe maybe i'm maybe that's you know i i don't know but i don't i personally don't think so as a dude racing it um, I would like to go into the semifinal knowing I'm going to, going to the final and I can send it and try to get some points for the overall. Like that would be sweet. It would be cool. But I mean, the reality is it's not really fair. Um, yeah. And in terms of like, I definitely think that it does help some riders that are a lot fitter. Um, like, and I'm not calling anyone out, but it seemed like there were some riders that by the time they got done with the final run, like they were spent. Like they looked really tired. Um, I think it benefited me because I do have like a deep base of fitness. Sometimes maybe I lack the overall strength that some of the other guys have, um, which is something I'm trying to work on. But 
like if you look at Lloyd, I mean, it's not hard to see if you look at like Lloyd compared to me, like the dude looks like he's like a NFL tight end. He's jacked. I'm like, oh, wow, I'm going to race you. <laughs> you know? Okay. Uh, whoa! Yeah. Aaron's a big dude. And it's like, I think I a lot of the time lack that overall strength, which helps for that one spectacular run. Like maybe, you know, those, if you look at a lot of the dudes that are doing well, I mean, either they move really well on the bike, like Jackson or Loris, where they're like use very little energy riding and they look super efficient. But, or you look at like Amari or, I mean, Lloyd can look smooth, but he looks smooth because he's so strong. And Amari just looks like yeah. he's like, like really, really strong. And that's why he's able to ride that next level of speed. It's, uh, I think is a, is a contributing factor. For sure. So, yeah, yeah I guess the, it, I think it definitely would benefit some people for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And we've seen uh, the calendar now for 2024. No US round. I was going to ask if that was a surprise or a disappointment, but given your experience this year, maybe it's nice not to have a home round. <laughs> I think it's just the backwards mountain I don't really care for. Like, I like that, like going up there, getting off the lift. It's you and your mechanic. It's this like Zen like thing, it's this special place. And then it's really quiet. You drop in. I mean, you could like, I mean, not a lot of people have been up there and you see the helmet cans, but like it's, the tension is high for sure, but it's so quiet and it's just, it's bizarre really. Um, I mean, there was other riders at the top at Mount St. Anne, but nobody was really paying attention. So like, cause the deck was so close to the starting gate, but usually just that like, you that walk to the finish or to the starting line is just like it's just different it's like a it's really quiet so um no 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 snowshoe yeah um i have to say that the amount of times i've went through that rock garden that fast i'm and i'm alive (laughs) to tell the tale um i'm pretty happy with because it's pretty scary but um yeah it's always a bummer not racing in the states maybe if we had the mountain the other way around Maybe, maybe we'll have some, some future U S rounds in different venues. Like there's yeah. plenty of spots in the U S surely that are capable. So yeah. hopefully we'll see it. And I'm really excited about a new, new venue next year. Yeah. Poland. Eh? Do you know anything about that? I don't even know if the, I, I, I mean, Hey, I could just be blown smoke, but I heard that there is no track there right now and they're building the track okay. for the event or something kind of like Louisville, mm-hmm. um, which yeah. is pretty, pretty weird for me, but I'm sure, I mean, I'm sure it'll be great. They, uh, I mean, if you're willing to put up the money to hold a World Cup, I would think that you're willing to do the work to have it prepared in time. For sure. Yeah, you'd hope so. I don't know when Paulette started work on Ludenvier, but they did a did a good job on the track by the looks of things. That was like one of the best days I've ever had riding my bike was that Friday practice. It was like I did six runs and was laughing and screaming the entire time that was like i mean on the internet they're like oh the track looks terrible it's a blue trail i was like that was awesome that was so sick <laughs> <That's amazing. laughs> like, it was awesome well, yeah you know sweet nice new tracks. One, so what's what's next for you then are you hanging around in the u.s for a bit are you heading over to europe to get some fast laps in somewhere like what's uh what's the plan for the winner mm, man right now i'm deep in it so uh, I, my house was, I, to give all everyone backstory, um, obviously built my home and, uh, 
didn't I got some help from some uh, some friends to get it done mid season, which was really exciting. And then when we came back in the break, I was able to like move in like the bare minimum of stuff before we went to snowshoes or nationals and snowshoes. So I had a mattress on the floor, two pans, two forks, two spoons, like two coffee cups. <laughs> like I didn't have a couch in it or anything. We were eating dinner just sitting in the middle of the floor against the wall. <laughs> and so I was able to get home and. Um, yeah, kind of moved some stuff into my house. Uh, this picture over here hung. I don't know if the video will go up, but I'm assuming it probably will. This picture over here hung in my grandparents' house, like above the TV my whole life growing up. So I was able to That's hang cool. that on the wall. And uh, yeah, just getting my desk and my routine dialed in. That's that's the biggest thing is I'm going to try to work super hard over the next like two or three weeks while training's not like – obviously, I'm started training again already, but it's not like – you know, peak where you have to be absolutely a hundred percent to get through the workout. So just uh, getting organized and getting a routine at home, um, just working on, yeah, just making my environment, I guess the word is conducive to, uh, to what I'm trying to achieve. And I have, it seems like I've, I mean, you know, we all work on organization and we, we chase comfort, right? As, as human beings, we want comfort. We're in a constant chase to be more and more comfortable. And the idea of things being more comfortable and easier to train, like easier to get the job done is, I mean, obviously something we all strive for. So getting, getting my routine down, trying to figure out where, how things work efficiently and where I'm going to put my stuff and organizing my stuff for the last time ever hopefully for a little while. Cause it's like, I moved and moved and moved and it's like reorganized. I never had enough room for anything. So like now just getting a routine, getting organized and then ride my dirt bike, hopefully as much as possible. Like <laughs> I just love riding that thing. And I've been really into riding in the woods, um, riding more like technical, uh, like almost like enduro type riding on the moto. Um, yeah. so enjoying that, trying to make some gains in the strength department and then, yeah, chances are I'll probably try to go, um, preseason move around a little bit to ride some different tracks. Hopefully if I can get everything settled here and life is pretty routine at home, then I can like sneak away for a week here and there and try to put the, the, you know, the setup on new, new tracks and, um, make sure that everything's working well and try to be a little more prepared for the race season than I was last year. Um, maybe not New Zealand or anything like that, just because I do feel like after the bulk of work that I put in, I would really like to try and spend some time at home. Yeah, helps you to be away the rest of the year, I guess. Nice one, man. Well, it's been an absolute pleasure catching up. It's been awesome to watch you uh, making progress season after season and uh, ticking ticking off goals and working your way up the timing sheets. I'm excited to see what 2024 holds. But yeah, thanks for taking the time to sit down with us for a chat. If people want to follow, where's the best place for them to look? Yeah, uh, my Instagram is primarily the where I do the most. Uh, I try to do a little bit more with YouTube and I think that I put a couple of videos out last year, but I'm going to try to do more of that, more insight to um, racing, um, like my preseason and testing and technical stuff uh, going into next year. So, but for right now, keep up with me at Instagram. Um, we're going to be uh, doing quite a bit on the Be Practice podcast and I may have some things in the work where people can listen along a little bit more. I've really been enjoying like listening to uh, some of the different riders podcasts. So maybe I'll put out a little bit of uh, one of my own. 
Nice one, man. Looking forward to it, dude. Well, yeah, have a good rest of the uh, off-season and we'll see you on the track next year. Thanks for having me, mate. Cheers. All right, that's it for this episode with Dakota. I really hope you've enjoyed it. Don't forget, if you want 10% off the 2023 yearbooks for Downhill and Enduro, Hurley Burley and the World Stage, then you can use the code DOWNTIME over at misspentsummers.com. You can also use that code to get 10% off anything else on the website until the end of December 2023. These yearbooks and the other misspent goodies are perfect for Christmas gifts, either for yourself or your friends or partners who ride. So head to misspentsummers.com now and check out what they have to offer. Also, don't forget that the We Are One Composites discount code is on hold this week, but they have amazing Black Friday offers across their store that are even wider reaching than our normal discount codes. So head to weareonecomposites.com to check those out. If you want to help support the podcast, then the best way to do that is by heading over to patreon.com forward slash downtime podcast and setting up a donation. That's Patreon spelled P-A-T-R-E-O-N. I know that times are tough for a lot of people right now, so if that doesn't work for you, then no worries. But if you are able to support, then it's very much appreciated. We've also got t-shirts, sweatshirts and hoodies available over at downtimepodcast.com forward slash shop. Make sure you're following the podcast by hitting that button in your podcast app now or head into downtimepodcast.com forward slash follow. You can also get a bit of extra downtime by signing up to our newsletter over at downtimepodcast.com forward slash newsletter. All right, that's it for today. We're going to have another awesome episode coming up really soon. But until next time, get out and ride. <laughs>